Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Welcome, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. Today, we have Deb Trocher, who's the Executive Director of the Indiana Cooperative Development Center. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, Vernon. Good to be here. Great. Great to have you. We're going to talk about your conference coming up called Up and Coming. This is a national conference. So tell me, what is Up and Coming? It is, like you said, it's a national conference uh, for startup food co-ops. So no matter if you are in the thinking stage, I think I want a food co-op in my community, all the way up to I have my doors open, I'm in my first couple of years of operation, but I still want to come together with other food cooperators to learn and uh, network. So Deb, let's go back and talk about you. How did you get involved in this co-op world? I started my career in small business development and uh, was part of a group of organizations in Indianapolis who were interested in providing opportunities for people who wanted to start co-ops to have a resource. And there just happened to be this federal grant through the USDA Rural Development called the Rural Cooperative Development Grant. And we found a partner organization that we could apply for that money. And so for the first couple of years, we provided technical assistance and education for people wanting to start co-ops. Through this other organization, we were formally incorporated in 2006, and I was looking to make a change. And since I was on the board, knew the board members, knew the players, um, they were looking for a new director, the stars aligned. And I've been there ever since, since 2006. Okay. But you said something that you were doing business development and a group of you wanted to start co-ops. Why? Why did this group want to start co-ops? Co-ops are all about a group of people coming together around a shared need, whatever that happens to be, and deciding that they are going to resolve that situation, that issue, that problem, that opportunity themselves, rather than waiting for someone else to come in and do it for them. Co-ops are all about, obviously, cooperating with each other, but it's about self-help and self-responsibility. There are lots of co-op values that really draw people to the business model once they know about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that just rolls off your tongue when you're talking about starting a business, most people don't even realize that the co-op business model exists. So that's part of my responsibility, which is to educate people about the model. There were plenty of options for people who wanted to start small businesses or if you were, you know, a big business and were looking for assistance. There's all kinds of other programs out there, but there was nothing for people who came together as a group to start a business. So that's that's how we 
got it all started. So, Deb, how did you learn about Most people don't know about co-ops. So if you go back a few years, how did you learn about them so you wanted to help start them? Well, um, growing up, we got our power from a rural electric co-op. And in high school, and they still do it to this day, the rural electrics have um, a youth tour to Washington. They call it something else now. But in our high school, as a junior, we wrote an essay about cooperatives. And I was one of two representatives from my high school, um, went to Washington for the first time, rode a plane for the first time. So it was very exciting to a (laughs) high school junior. So that was kind of my first experience with co-ops. Didn't really learn much about it in college. I mean, there might've been a passing reference had a master's in business administration, was not discussed during that programming. Um, so it was really after that, um, once I got out into the business development community and um, met some other folks who were involved in co-ops, and I like, I like what co-ops represent, I like what they stand for. And so a lot of what I was doing on the business development side translates over into the co-op development side just working with groups of people as opposed to individuals. So going all the way back, rural electric co-ops is what provided your electricity to your home where you grew up. Okay. So rural electric co-ops are consumer co-ops. The people that have the, that buys the electricity own the business. Is that the way it was where you grew yes. up? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then this, this company then, was this company the one that had tours in the D.C., this particular rural electric co-op? Yes. So NRECA, which is their national association, this is a national program. And our, I don't know if all the rural electric co-ops still do it, but ours in Baldwin County did. So it was this big national gathering of high school juniors who went to Washington, learned about government, learned more about co-ops. So a very exciting opportunity. Oh, I would have loved it. I, I, I think I flew my first plane. I was maybe a junior in college. <laughs> okay, it was a little bitty plane. <laughs> okay. So Rural Electric Co-ops, the National Rural Electric Co-op Association and RECA have this national, therefore you wrote the, now I would have had difficulty writing that paper, but that's a whole other comment, question. Um, and then you came to D.C., but in your MBA and in your undergrad, you did not have anything about, in my MBA, there was nothing about co-ops nothing. either. I was, I think I was 55 when I learned about co-ops. And that was because I started managing housing co-ops and loved them. So you said you like what co-ops represent and stand for. What, do, what does co-ops represent and stand for that you like? The coming together of people to solve a common issue but it's more than that it's it's there's a there's a self-empowerment so there's a personal empowerment that individuals who are helping to start a co-op experience there's an empowerment of the community itself as people come together share their ideas their resources to create a business and it has a ripple effect so co-ops are all about local people they hire local people so there's an, a, a, an effect, a positive effect on the local economy, which ripples out 
So there's there's just so much positive about co-ops. And in this world today where there's so many things that aren't so positive, co-ops have the ability to, I think, solve some of those problems that we're facing, whether it's in housing or childcare or food deserts or health care or elder care, whatever the situation, I think that co-ops can be a solution to solving those problems. So it is finding it. Oh, matter of fact, the first month, which was October 10 years ago, I had a man on, on the show called Papa Sin, and I remember him so well. He said that co-ops solve community problems. If there's no community problem, there's no need for a co-op. That was his second faith. So you just mentioned a bunch of problems that communities have, and a co-op can be created to solve each of those, where a group of people come together, work to solve that problem. And in the process, you said the people that work in these co-ops becomes empowered, and the group becomes empowered, the community becomes empowered. Okay, and they also may make money. Okay, again, increased her financial wealth. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, co-ops are businesses. And while they don't concentrate on the bottom line, they have to make money in order to stay in business. Yeah. So I have Sometimes forget that. Sometimes, oh, sometimes the cooperators forget that. Yes. Okay. And the capitalistic model, which is what I learned in my MBA program, and you probably learned in yours, uh, there were three P's that were important. And the first one was profit, the second was profit, and the third was profit. What's the re greatest return on investment for the shareholder? And decisions were made on that, whether they were good long-term decisions or bad. Where in the co-op, what I have learned is there's three P's, but the first one is people. The second is the planet, and the third is profit. Got to make the profit in order to stay in business. But the focus is on what's best for people that work in the co-ops and the community and so forth, and then what's best for the planet. Okay, that's what co-ops represent and stand for. Matter of fact, just real quick, rural electric co-ops were created in the 30s and 40s to solve the problem of electricity in rural areas because the mm -hmm. companies the companies were not going out because it was costing too much to string lines from one house to the next or one farm to the next. So co-ops were formed to solve that problem. Now, you got a grant from the Department of Agriculture to start ICDC, Indiana Corporate Development Center. What kind of co-ops have you all been creating or helping to develop? Runs the gamut. Our center doesn't specialize in a particular type of co-op, so we don't turn anyone away. Um, because our money comes from the USDA Rural Development, the majority of our work is in rural communities, but we do some work in urban as well. So the types of co-ops could be a food co-op, it could be housing. Um, we do some around ag. Those are those are typically small ag co-ops, not not large ag co-ops. Worker co-ops are a huge growing sector of the co-op economy. We haven't had a lot of success in creating worker co-ops in Indiana, but hopefully with some of the programming we plan to do next year, that will change and we'll see a, a growth spurt in the worker co-op arena. So I would say that's the child care is an area where we really are trying to put some emphasis because it is such a huge issue, not only for 
working parents, but also for employers in housing. That's another area that's, that's a huge need in Indiana as it is in, in lots of places across the country. So those, those are kind of the areas where we're trying to put some emphasis and do some work. That's a fairly large list. Do you have the staff to help create all those different types of co-ops? You're talking to her. <laughs> I don't have um, I don't have a big staff. That's me. I do have another colleague that I work with who works in our farmers market space. Hopefully, as we do, Deb, some we're gonna, I'm sorry. We're going to take our first break. Okay. We'll be right back. This is WOL News Talk 1450 AM and 95.9 FM 959. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op, and we're talking to Deb Trocher, who is the Executive Director of the Indiana Cooperative Development Center. And right before the break, she was telling us of the different types of co-ops that they are helping to develop out of their center. Deb, I've put co-ops into four categories, and it depends on who owns and controls the business. If the business is owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. And you said that you're putting in some programs in place to create more worker co-ops in Indiana. And if the business is owned and controlled by the people that uses the products or services, then it's called a consumer co-op. Uh, food co-ops in past were consumer co-ops, but now they could be worker co-ops. Housing co-ops are consumer co-ops. It's owned by the people that live in the housing. We talked about rural electric. That's a consumer co-ops. Credit unions are consumer co-ops. So there's all of these different types. Of course, worker co-ops, almost any business you can think of, large or small, uh, could the employees could own it. And it could be a worker co-op. And then you have the whole agriculture part about it. You said that you're dealing with small agriculture. There are two types there are purchasing co-ops and marketing co-ops. If a group of farmers or a group of businesses come together to buy what they need to produce whatever they produce, it's called a purchasing co-op. And farmers do that. And if they come together to market what they produce, it's called a marketing co-op, uh, and farmers do that. But also artists are beginning to do that. There's an artist uh, group, Ujama in Pittsburgh of black women that have formed. Um, each individual artist could not create a storefront, but as a group they have a storefront, and they can put their jewelry or their paintings or their clothing, uh, whatever they make, and they will also buy from other black female artists throughout the diaspora and sell it in their in their stores so um individually they couldn't do it but collectively they can so that's what you were saying you like about they can solve th th this need and child care could be owned by the parents of the children and be a consumer co-op or it could be owned by the employees and be a worker co-op but there is a huge need for these co-ops. And there's a couple of them here in the in the D.C. or one in Greenbelt that I tried to get on to interview and one right in the heart of downtown on Capitol Hill. It's inside of a school. Uh, 
elementary school, but uh, and it's owned by the parents, and they mm-hmm. work there. So keep the price down, keep the cost down. So there, there's all kinds of things that co-ops can do to solve these particular problems. So I want to go back to you. You've got all of these different businesses that you're starting, and you're talking about Indiana, Indiana Corporate Development Center. But now you've created something called Up and Coming to help create food co-ops. That's a national program. How did you get into this? Well, funny you should ask. Um, in 2010, 09 and 10, we were getting a lot of requests to start food co-ops. People were, not that the local food movement wasn't already active, but people were really starting to think about where's my food coming from? How long did it take to get here? How long has it been sitting on a truck? How do I know the people who grew it? How did they raise it? Did they use chemicals? Did they not? Were they organic? Anyway, there were lots of people interested and the food co-op in Bloomington, Blooming Foods, they were also getting calls from people who were interested in starting food co-ops. And their general manager, George Huntington, at the time, was catering another event for me. And we just had a little conversation about, could we not pool our resources and put together a little training event for people who were interested in starting food co-ops in Indiana? And we would also open it up to the contiguous states. So in 2010, we had our first little conference with about 50 people in attendance. It went well, was well received, and interest was still still there. And over time, probably along about 2012, 13, 14, somewhere in there, one of the consultants that did a lot of the training for us said, Deb, I think it's time for you to consider taking this national. It's It's grown when I say grown, it's still not large. Um, it was probably 100, 150 people. But it had a reputation and people wanted to participate. So we decided that we would open it up to anybody anywhere in the country who wanted to come together to talk about starting their local food co-op. And one of the things that is important to us as we host this is that there's a local food co-op who partners with us. And about Six or seven years ago, Blooming Foods was going through some financial difficulties, some changes in uh, management. They were no longer able to partner with us, so then we had to look for another location outside of Indiana. So the first community that we went to outside of Indiana was in Milwaukee, and we partnered with Outpost Foods for three years. And then after that commitment ended, we went to Madison, Wisconsin for three years, And this year, we're excited to be in St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul, or the Twin Cities area, is home to a number of food co-ops. And we're really excited to have five of those food co-ops as our local partners. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And so this this is going to be in September, though, right? September? Yes. September the 14th through the 16th. Okay. So I know I went to a conference about five years ago, and it was probably it, it was up. It was in May. Milwaukee. In the yeah, world. it was in. We were. It was cold. Out. That's what I'm getting March. at. It was cold. Yeah, it was in March. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so this won't be cold in it September. It should be a beautiful time of the year. In St. Paul, with five local food co-op partners. Yes. Okay. 
Why do people keep coming? You started at 50, you said 150. How many people did you have last year? About 300. Okay. Why do people keep coming to this up-and-coming conference? A couple of reasons. Um, one, it's the only conference of its kind in the country for startup food co-ops. And we offer lots of opportunities for education from professionals who that's what they do. Um, their day-to-day -day job is to work with startup food co-ops. And then we also have peer learning, which our attendees have told us how important that is to know that other people are kind of in the same boat. Maybe they're ahead of them or behind them, but it really helps to know that others have tread that same path that you're on at this point. Okay. I, and, I, I would just say they've had the same problem. They've had to deal with yes. the same thing. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then there's also never underestimate the power of networking. Starting a food co-op can take a long time and it's a, it's a heavy lift. It's exciting work, but it can also be, you feel like you're the only people out there doing it. So coming together to this conference and meeting with other people who are doing similar work is invigorating and exciting, and it helps people get that second win so that they go back to their communities energized and invigorated and excited about the work that they're doing. I get the peer learning. I know that education is the fifth principle of cooperation, education, training, and information. So that's a big part of, of what co-ops do is educate the folks that are in the co-op. I get the peer learning, but why you say networking is so important? There's lots of opportunities. So either, you know, developing a relationship with those consultants that you may already be working with or that you want to work with. But talking with and learning from your peers is incredibly important. So you have the opportunity to meet other people, maybe who are in a uh, community similar to yours. So you can trade war stories, so to speak, mm -hmm. take inspiration from, learn from their mistakes, um, share what you're doing. You know, that um, sixth principle, cooperation among co-ops, is a huge piece of what happens at Up and Coming. Okay. Cooperation among co-ops. Networking is part of that, yeah. This year, we're going to have a table for the attendees to bring. Maybe it's their brochures or their bags or their hats or other swag that they have, but to share materials that they're using in their communities with others. And then maybe somebody else wants to do something similar. So it's really an opportunity to learn from others, to gain inspiration from others. We have learned the hard way that the attendees take their networking time very seriously. Okay. Now, we're going to take our second break here, but the conference on September 14th through the 16th, how can people find out about it? Where can they, how can they register? So the website is up and coming all one word, dot co-op, C-O-O-P. Okay. U-P-A-N-D coming, dot C-O-O-P. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. everybody this is vernon oaks welcome back to everything co-op with deb trocher we're talking about the conference up and coming 
which is going to be on September 14th through the 16th in St. Paul, Minnesota. And you can register by going to U-P-A-N-D-C-O-M-I-N-G dot C-O-O-P, upandcoming dot C-O-O-P. Deb, what does it cost to register? I know you extended the early registration to tomorrow. Right. Right now, the $300 for full registration. If you decide to participate in the tours, that's an additional $35 charge. But tomorrow, early bird ends. So if you are interested in saving $50, I encourage you to register before midnight tomorrow night. So it's $300 until midnight tomorrow night. That's Friday at midnight, $300, and $350 after that. So what does $300 get you? What do you, what do you get for $300? You get all the programming for Friday and Saturday, access to all of your um, the consultants. Some of the consultants will do one-on-one, so they'll you'll have an opportunity to spend 30 minutes with the consultants um, to ask questions of. It includes meals, breaks, the Thursday night welcoming reception hosted by our local food co-host, and the Friday night reception, which is the up-and-coming reception. You'll also have access to all of the slide decks, the speakers, and we are hopeful. We haven't got it totally nailed down yet, but hope to record some of those sessions so that you'll have access to perhaps a session that you wanted to attend but couldn't because there was something else you wanted to go to as well. So $300 gives you the meals. So what's that, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or breakfast and dinner for? Breakfast and lunch on Friday and Saturday, a reception on Thursday night and Friday night, all of the resources and slide decks. Hopefully, we'll also have some recorded sessions, so access to those as well. We'll also have a professional photographer there, so we'll have hopefully lots of photographs that you'll also have access to. And then access to all of our consultants. So when I was, I like food, okay. So that's why I went back to meals. Breakfast and lunch, Friday and Saturday, and Thursday reception and Friday reception. I don't know, from here in D.C., if you have, if you do breakfast and lunch a couple of days, that could be $200. And then a couple of receptions with, I guess, beer and wine complimentary, or is it? You have to pay for your drinks. No, well, there'll be there'll be some complimentary drink tickets. Okay, so just meals alone, you you get your value of three hundred dollars. Then you have all of this programming, which I want to go to next. So you you get fed up. You can drink a little bit on Thursday and Friday night. Got some tickets, and most importantly, you get education, you get peer learning, and you get networking. Uh, so what's the programming? Tell us about that. What what do you have on Thursday? So Thursday, we are, for the third year in a row, partnering with the National Black Food and Justice Alliance. And there will be a day created by that organization for our black cooperators. So the, from 8.30 in the morning until middle of the afternoon, about, let's see, yes, to about three o'clock there will be programming specifically for our black cooperators and then in that afternoon on thursday before before you go past that black why did you all start that the breakout for black cooperators 
Over time, starting in about 2016, we were very intentional about trying to increase participation of black cooperators as well as black consultants and speakers. And we were trying to make sure that we were as inclusive as possible. So if you came to a conference in 2016, it still would have been pretty white attendee base. If you came today or last year, at least a third of our attendees were black. So we had a plan and we're very intentional in executing that plan to really try to be as inclusive as possible. There is a huge amount of organizing happening in black communities, particularly in urban spaces. And we wanted to make sure that we were meeting those needs. And so we were working originally with uh, Malik Yakini and he brought us together with the National Black Food and Justice Alliance to pull that track together. The first year we did it was COVID, so it was virtual. And then last year it was in person and it will be in person again this year. So we're, we're very excited to be able to offer that to the black community. And it's Dr. Jazz and her group have put together the programming and the speakers. So it's coming from the community itself. These are our needs. This is what we want to see happening in that track that's specifically geared to our black cooperators. So Malik is the person that sort of spearheaded the food co-op in Detroit. Yes. Um, And so he was very helpful in getting this black-led track. I want to ask you a question, Deb, um, and you are a white woman, so you may be able to answer and you may not. But did you have you seen where the needs of black communities are different from the needs of white community? I think a lot of the needs are similar. How they're addressed may be a bit different. Hmm. You have a, an example how they uh, what what a particular need is and how it gets addressed in either community. So, so for example, financing a food co-op. That is a very heavy lift. And depending on the size of the food co-op, you know, as to how big the budget is. But let's just say sometimes it's easier for suburban white. Um, this is going to come out maybe not the way I want it to. But a lot of times it's easier for the more affluent communities to access capital than it is for communities who are less resourced to access capital. So how that capital is resourced is going to look a little different. And from the time we started this conference to now, it's changed for a lot for both audiences. I mean, there's a lot more access or reliance on looking at what grant opportunities are out there that food co-ops can access with partners who are nonprofits, um, looking at their local government units to help finance. So I think that's one of the areas that might look a little different. The way that communities organize might look a little different as well. So it came out extremely well that if you're in a affluent neighborhood and suburban neighborhoods are mainly white and they their um, income could be uh, 110 to 200% of a median, 
where if you're in a lower resource community, a less resource community, a black, a brown, indigenous community, the income might be 30, 50% of the median family income. So if you start by going, and Deb, I, in my entrepreneur classes that I had, it's like the first place you go to is family and friends to get your capital. Well, you look around, family and friends don't have anything. Okay, in, in the black community or the brown community or the indigenous community. So that resource too often isn't there and isn't available in the black community, where in a suburban or more affluent community, mainly white, yeah, you may look around and granddad has some savings or father or mother or sisters or brothers or aunts and uncles. They may have resources that they can say, here's 5000 here's 10000 here's 100000 You don't have it in, in the black community too often. So, yeah, just that's a perfect example. And it came out right. You said it the way it is. Um, so I totally agree with that. I'm, I'm quite interested in the way communities organize. But before I do go there, Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nimhart uh, has been on the show and wrote, wrote the book Collective Carriage. She said when she started, which would be now about 20, 25 years ago, researching this book, she was saying that co-ops, she was told that co-ops is white thing that is mainly white hippies because the white hippies were the ones that were starting food co-ops back 20, 30, 40 years ago. But co-ops have been in the black community since the beginning of time, okay? And we have we relied on each other and resource and get help from each other. Uh, so I, I find it's very much a part of it, but how do we organize and the different ways that we organize to get money, people to pool their resources, whether that's, if it's not money, it might be time and talents to help an organization to grow. And the reason I ask you, because it's black-led, more often than not, black and white communities approach things differently. And so I, could, I can see this black-led track being quite powerful for those communities black communities, whether it's D.C. or Detroit or Atlanta or L.A., uh, wanting to start a food co-op that they could get help from the peers, a lot from the peers and networking. So I, I really appreciate what you're doing. I need to stop talking and get back to you talk. It's exciting. Okay. It's exciting. And what makes it exciting? The fact that people are coming together, working together on a shared need. It's truly empowering when groups of people come together and work together to create something, to create, in this case, a business, as opposed to waiting for someone else to come do it for you. A lot of times we're, we're too reliant on government or some other organization to come in and solve the problem for us. And, and often it's not the way we would solve it mm -hmm. if we were driving the ship. So I think it's really, really important that the people who are the most impacted by whatever the situation is, that they are driving the ship. If people are part of the process, there's buy-in, there's really enthusiasm and a determination to make it successful. 
and in in situations like there's some examples and I cannot remember the name of the gentleman who's done this like in some of the African countries he's put together these little um, community lending so maybe it's a group of women who want to throw a little bit of money in the pot to help them start you know buy chickens to mm-hmm. start a little business but we, we've got to take our break and we'll come back, and I have had somebody on that talks about banker women, so we could talk about that, and I want to make sure that people know how they can go to the up-and-coming to figure out how to start a business. In this case, it's a food co-op. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. everybody this is Vernon Oaks and the program is everything co-op we have Deb Trocher on with us today we're talking about up and coming uh, which is a national conference to help people that want to start food co-ops but Deb this October we'll celebrate our 10th year on the air and National Co-op Bank has been our supporter and I noticed they've also supporting this conference NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for Americans cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So they've just been a, an excellent partner to this program, where this program's main objective is to just promote co-ops, the cooperative brand, and our main competition is the capitalistic brand. And as we, you have said, Deb and I, in our MBA programs, what you mainly get is the capitalistic brand you don't even hear about the the competitor cooperative brand uh, which we're going to change that we're going to change that tell people again how they can register for up and coming so you can go to our website which is up and coming u-p-a-n-d-c-o-m-i-n-g dot c-o-o-p and you can register everything you want to know about the conference is on that website the agenda, the speakers, the sponsors, it's all on that web page. And how you can register, it's on that web page. So, Deb, when you started your career, you were helping to start businesses. When I look at the agenda, and it looks like you're just starting from day one. If you wanted to start a business, this is what all you have to do. And you go through that. And that's basically what you're trying to teach people is how do you start and and operate a successful business? Yes. So this year we've kind of set up tracks. So there's six tracks. And um, our partner in this initiative is the Food Co-op Initiative. And they're a national co-op development center that works specifically in the food co-op space. And they created the agenda for this year and looked at it. And so there's the foundation. So what are, what is what is kind of the bedrock things that you need to know as you're starting a food co-op? Then business development, looking at the financing, the feasibility study, site selection, those kinds of things. Then third track is co-op organizing. So how do you get things done? How do you recruit a board? How do you start recruiting employees? And then the other side is kind of looking at it more broadly. 
So those tracks include peer stories. So we've got a whole track on both days looking at what are other people doing in the co-op startup space. Then we've got a track called Engage Play, where that we have a facilitator who will facilitate the conversation around some big topics. For instance, owner engagement events. And we've invited some, again, peer co-ops to come and be part of that conversation. And then the last topic, the last track is called Big Conversations. So what are some of the big overarching topics in the food co-op space? Um, some new approaches to opening food co-ops would be one of those topics. We've got, I mentioned Dr. Jazz with the National Black Food and Justice Alliance is going to do a session on what's happening right now in this moment in black food co-op organizing. So looking at some of the big picture topics in the food co-op space. So those are the six tracks. We've got about 42 different sessions to choose from. So you've got lots of opportunities to pick from depending on where you are in the organizing space and the organizing process. Fantastic. And look like you have about a hundred different sponsors. We are very fortunate this year to have a number of wonderful sponsors. We could not do it without them. Um, CoBank, is a sponsor. NCD definitely is a sponsor. Organic Valley, the National Grocery uh, Co-op Grocers, Columinate, Everything Co-op. Thank you, Vernon. Um, the Partnership Funds, CDF, the co- what, CDF's Co-op Education Fund, Shared Capital, Capital Impact, Seven Roots, LEAF, which is a CDFI organization in the Boston area, Wagner, CPA, Seven Roots, Capitus Insurance, which does a lot of the insurance in the food co-op space. Infra is a new sponsor. They're independent grocers organization. Uh, Mountain Rose Herbs is another new sponsor. Let's see if I'm missing anyone. What about Leaf? We also have it, Creamery. Mm-hmm. And Equal Exchange are um, supplying some products that we're going to use as giveaway packages. And we also have um, the Ralph K. Morse Foundation as one of our scholarship sponsors, along with FCI, Food Co-op Initiative. When you are starting a food co-op, you have a day job, and the work in the food co-op is all volunteer. So sometimes it's difficult to scrape the money together to get to the conference. So we do have a small pot of money um, to provide some small scholarships to co-ops who are interested in attending the conference. So the Ralph K. Morse Foundation has been a a scholarship sponsor for a number of years, and we're very fortunate to have them continue to provide that for our attendees. How does one uh, make an application for a scholarship? So the the process is closed. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a really short application form itself, and we usually open it up a couple of months, three to four months before the conference starts, and we get open for about three or four weeks. Um, we try to get the word out through Facebook and on um, through email blasts to let people know that the scholarship process is open. So I would like, um, in doing my research, I came across Firebrand Co-op, firebrand.coop, and I saw their package they put together for messaging how do you promote if you will or market your co-op 
long before you open your doors. So can you tell us about that partner? So, yes, Firebrand is a consulting cooperative, and we have one of their members is doing a couple of sessions for us. Darnell Adams from Firebrand is doing a couple of sessions. One, it's not really about marketing, but looking at our food co-ops and gentrifying force. It's one of the big, big picture questions that we're asking at the conference this year. They have been a partner for a number of years as speakers and sponsors at the conference. Yeah, I like the little book, the store opening marketing and messaging guy. I like the little book that they pull together to what do you do three months out before you open your doors two months out? What kinds of messages should you be sending out? Um, yeah, it's nice, nice little, little piece, nice little to help somebody get started and making sure they're doing the right kinds of messaging. That's critical. I noticed Columinate is a sponsor also, and it seems like they do some of the similar kinds of things that Firebrand does, or Firebrand does some of the things that Columinate does. Okay. So you, there's help out there for people that want to get started. Absolutely. Um, so a food co-op initiative, like I said, is the co-op development center that startup food co-ops get started. Then there are a number of other organizations, consulting organizations, Firebrand being one of those, Columinate being another, Seven Roots Group would be another organization that works with startup co-ops. So there's lots of opportunities out there for um, assistance if you're starting a food co-op, as well as your local co-op development center. Deb, I want to thank you for the exciting work that you do with a one-person team at Indiana Development, Cooperative Development Center. In the last 30 seconds, what message do you want to leave people with? If you are considering starting some type of business to address an issue in your community, think about co-ops. Investigate the co-op business model. Reach out to your co-op development center. It truly is a life-altering experience to start a co-op and very rewarding and um, not only for the individual but for the community. Thank you. So I would say take a look at it. Thank you very much, Deb. Everybody out there, we'll see you next Thursday. Please live cooperatively. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power.